Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information. And may the Lord bless our time together today. with me, if you will, if you have the scriptures with you, to the book of Ephesians. My prayer is that the word of the Lord would indeed have free course, that it would find a, a lodging place in your heart. First and foremost, it would be the truth that honors the Lord and magnifies our Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, we've spent some time here the last few weeks on both Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And we have been looking at the armor of God. The armor of God. God has given us a suit of armor. This suit of armor has a defensive aspect to it. But there are a couple of pieces of this armor that can also be used to go on the offense. The armor of God. Why has God given us this armor? Because we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle. Paul reminds us that this battle we face is not with flesh and blood. In other words, the primary objective of this battle is not to attack people, but it is to promote the truth, defend the truth, highlight the truth, live the truth, and sometimes by doing that, we do expose groups and individuals who reject the truth, and so be it. But our primary objective in putting on this armor and in fighting the battle is not to attack people personally, okay? Now, there's a, there's a subject there that probably we need to address another time. Some of you Bible students may be thinking right now, well, the Apostle Paul called out individuals by name on a few occasions, and yes, he did. For now, I'll just say this, that was the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't feel comfortable calling people out by name unless I am confident that they have rejected the truth after all efforts to provide the truth to them to promote the truth to them, to live the truth before them, and then if they continually reject that truth, then maybe I might feel the need to call them out by name. So that's another subject for another time. So last week we spent some time in verse 17 looking at the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation helps us to defend against doubt by reminding us of our preservation in the blood of Jesus Christ. This helmet of salvation, it protects us against doubt. It protects us against discouragement. It protects us against pride by leading us to humility. This helmet of salvation 
protects us from all manner of disappointment and, and all manner of emotions, I'm going to say. Do you ever allow your emotions to get the best of you? Or, or and by that I mean sometimes we allow our emotions to get the best of us and we are driven by that emotion. It's not that we break down and cry necessarily. That happens sometimes too. But oftentimes we are driven by our emotions and we make decisions based on emotions. You know, the helmet of salvation will help us avoid that. It helps prevent us from getting caught up in all of those emotions. The helmet of salvation is a precious piece of armor, and we spent some time speaking about that, trying to speak about that last week. So today, I would like to speak to you, try to, about the sword of the Spirit. I noticed that at the end of verse 16, we, we have the end of a sentence. And, and so Paul, and it's, it's a pretty long sentence, it's a couple of verses at least, two or three verses. And, and so Paul has been describing each piece of this armor. It is a complete set. It's all that we need. God didn't provide us with a suit of armor that was missing something. He has given us this armor. He has given us the instructions on how to use it, but He's not going to use it for us. we got to use it. And we got to be skilled. we got to become skilled in using this armor. Or else we'll not be prepared for the battle. All right? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit begins another sentence and at the end of verse 17 there's this colon so what we have in this verse is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God that's what I want to talk to you about and and he tells us specifically what to do now that we've got all of the armor and it's kind of like the helmet and the sword are the are the final pieces the other, the other pieces of armor are vital. Each one is needed. We will not be equipped if one of them is missing. We, we've had, he, he begins, where did he begin? In uh, verse 14, he has told us to girt ourselves about with truth. He has told us to put on this breastplate of righteousness. He has told us to shod our feet with the preparations of the gospel of peace. And, and so we have all of that armor, but it's not complete yet. We have to have the helmet of salvation and we have to have the sword of the Spirit. And now that we have that complete armor, notice, and I'm going to come back to this maybe, but I want to get in here real quick. Notice what he tells us to do once we have this complete suit of armor. We're ready to go to battle, right? He tells us to pray. He tells us to pray. Don't go to battle, friends, before you pray. He says praying with all prayer and supplication. All prayer, all manner of prayer, because we have all manner of needs, right? He reminds us, in fact, to pray for others. That tells me there's others engaged in the battle. You're not alone. There's many soldiers, and you are just, you're a few, but just, you know, a few is better than one, right? You are not alone. So pray for your fellow soldiers that are engaged in this battle just as you are, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That tells me that the Spirit is going to lead us into battle. I'm not the leader, not this battle. I, maybe, uh, maybe I'm a, a I was going to say sergeant. That doesn't sound very good. Lieutenant sounds better, right? 
not a drill sergeant for sure. I, I do give some instructions, but the Holy Spirit is the leader. <laughs> and we're to pray for one another, for other soldiers who are all under the same command of the Spirit as the Spirit leads us into this battle. And he goes on and he says that we ought to also be persevering in that realm. Persevering in this matter of prayer and persevering in our supplications one for another. So let's talk about this sword. This sword, I don't know, I, you know what, I almost, I, I want to do this one of these days, I almost brought a sword with me. I, not, I don't have one, I don't own one, but I, I was going to try to find one, maybe even just a, a plastic one, you know, so you could get this image, and it wouldn't have been a very good one, and I'm not very good at that sort of thing anyway. But if you can visualize this sword, it's a double-edged it's not like a knife that just cuts one way. This is a double-edged sword. It is intended to, to use for defense, and it is also intended to use, when needed, to go on the attack. That, I know that sounds like strong language, but it is. That's, that's what you do. To go on the offensive, does that sound any better? To gain ground. This double-edged sword it's, it's very useful. It is the Word of God. That is what we are to take. That is what we are to learn. Understanding, knowledge, wisdom comes from God. And it comes through His Word. So, let's talk a little bit about... Tell you what, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's a very familiar passage. I, I know you're familiar with it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's talk about the Word of God. Let's, uh, I don't know this is necessary, but let's establish the fact that the Word of God is inspired of God. This book, this collection of, what is it, 66 books? It is inspired of God. It is truth. That's why it's such an effective weapon. It is truth. Speaking the truth, I've already said this, highlights error. You don't have to go out and find error and start picking on it. You don't have to go out and find people who, who promote error and start picking on them. What we're to do is promote truth. And let the truth itself highlight the error and those who promote it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, a very familiar scripture, very familiar passage. I'm going to read verse 16 and 17 that you're familiar with. You're probably familiar with this entire chapter or maybe the entire letter. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. This is our sword. Scripture, the word of God. It is inspired. It is profitable. There is good to be gained by using this weapon. There's profit. There is gain to be had. There is something you will receive, you will obtain, you will gain that you did not have before. That's profit. That is profitable. So utilizing the Word of God is profit. It brings gain to you in a number of ways. Maybe that's another subject for another time. It is profitable, and here we have some categories for doctrine, for reproof, 
for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Okay? And the last verse of that chapter. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. What I would like for us to notice for just a few minutes this morning is what precedes that passage. What has prompted the apostle to write those two verses? The Holy Spirit, I know, I understand that. But what, what has he just been writing about that, that would lead to this kind of a conclusion, really, that the Word of God, reminding us that it's inspired and that it's profitable. And this is where the battle is. It's what Paul has written before this, okay? Paul has reminded us, as if we, you know, I'm glad he did. I'm glad the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to remind us that we, that, that perilous times shall come. We just simply have to look out the window, right? You look on TV, which you can look on the Internet. Don't do that very much. Please, no, just, just kind of stay away from that. Don't stay away from it completely. Stay informed. Don't get caught up. We know there's perilous times upon us. Is that what you're supposed to focus on? The peril? It's easy to do. We're all guilty. And if you do, you will get so caught up in anxiety and fear, you will stop living. And I will become almost useless in the kingdom of God. You see, I'll use myself as that example, all right? You might get caught up in anxiety and fear. I will become almost useless in the kingdom of God if I allow the peril in the world to be my focus. So, but Paul reminds us that perilous times shall come, and we are indeed in perilous times. And he describes these perilous times this way. And I want to kind of break some of this down, and let's see how the Word of God will help us defend against these things. One of the things he mentions there in verse 2 of this chapter is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. They'll be covetous. Lovers of their own selves and covetous. Did you know, I know you do, I'll remind you that you're, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Our focus in this life is not to be self. But the culture wants you to believe that. The culture wants you to think that. The culture wants, you, wants to convince you that your primary objective in life is to serve yourself. Men shall be lovers of them, their own selves. They'll be covetous. When I begin to focus on myself, when I begin to fall in love with myself, there's an aspect of, of how we are to, I'll say, preserve the best we can, protect and, and cherish our bodies, and, and to maintain a healthy physical, mental, and emotional state, yes. But the culture wants you to fall in love with yourself. The culture wants you to pursue everything that will satisfy your flesh. That's being a lover of yourself. And it leads you to be covetous. Why, why covetousness? Why would maybe even an occasional fulfilling of the desire of the flesh, why would that lead to covetousness? Now, it's wrong regardless, right? Okay. 
Well, why does that lead to covetousness? Because your flesh is never satisfied. My flesh, I, my flesh is never satisfied. I don't know about, I, I expect you're, you're the same way. Our flesh is never satisfied. It's never satisfied with just a little. It's never satisfied with a lot. It is never satisfied. It leads to covetousness. We are, let's see, Colossians chapter 3. I think it's where I want to read a few verses. Rather than being lovers of our own selves, what does God's Word say? How are you going to defend yourself against the onslaught of the culture that promotes being a lover of yourself and promotes being covetous and, and promotes fulfilling every desire of the flesh that comes along? How are you going to, you know that's wrong, Okay, you've been taught, but we're talking about using the sword of the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you have to use both hands, if you can do that with one hand or what. I, it, we're talking about the Word of God. Where do you go to defend, to protect yourself against the onslaught of the culture? Here's one place, Colossians chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now, we talked about the helmet of salvation last week that protects us against doubts. Doubt creeps in very quickly, okay? But I'm going to ask you a point, Blake, question this morning. You don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want, but you don't have to. Do you feel to be risen with Christ this morning? Do you feel to be a child of God? I know sometimes we sing a song or two that expresses our, uh, that battle that is within, and sometimes we feel like we're losing that battle, and we get swallowed up and caught up in doubt and discouragement, and we begin to maybe even question our, th th whether we even have a relationship with God at all, whether He has ever smiled upon us. I know we have those kinds of doubts, but child of God, you are risen with Christ. Do you feel to be risen with Christ this morning? If you then be risen with Christ, here's what you are to do. To protect yourself from the onslaught of the culture that tells you to focus on loving yourself, we're told to seek those things which are above. Friends, don't settle. Child of God, do not settle for simply trying to fulfill the desires of your flesh. That, that's easy to do. That's easy to do. The challenge, child of God, if you're risen with Christ, is to seek those things which are above. Seek those things on a higher level, a much higher plane, eternally higher than what we have in this, in this mortal flesh. Seek those things which are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. That's where Christ who bought you, that, that's where Christ is in whom you are risen, with whom you are risen, you are risen with Him. Where is He? I, I know we can talk about Christ being in your heart. We can talk about Christ within you, the hope of glory. We can talk about Christ in a number of ways, but literally, Christ is in the heavens. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, and He is the one that we're to seek. You're risen with Him. Seek those things which are above, because that's where Christ is. Christ who bought you, Christ who redeemed you, set your affection on things above, not on the flesh, not on the world. Set your affection on things above, not, not on things on the earth. And he reminds us that we are dead. 
Well, he says, your life is hid with Christ in God. Your life is concealed in Christ. That, that's a seal of protection. That's a seal of, of preservation. You are concealed, not like you're hidden in the sense that you can't see it or whatever. This is a concealment that protects and preserves. That's you. That's where you are. That's your standing. That's your station. Seek those things which are above. Men shall be lovers of themselves. They'll be covetous. Paul goes on to talk about these perilous times in this way, that men will become boasters. They'll be proud. They'll be blasphemers. How do we protect ourselves against such things as that? i tell you a good place. I don't know, maybe you have uh, developed a similar habit. When, when certain... When certain temptations come, when I'm tempted or when I finally wake up and realize that I'm being caught up in pride, there's, there's certain places in Scripture that I go for certain types of help. And when I, when I begin to get caught up in, in, in pride, I go to the Proverbs. Now, there's a number of places you could go, right? A number of places you could go. But I, I like to go to Proverbs. Because Proverbs tells me over and over and over. The wisdom of God tells me over and over and over. Pride comes before the fall. Right? Pride comes before the fall. The culture, the culture tries to persuade you that you in and of yourself are the most valuable thing in all the earth. Now, child of God, on the one hand, child of God, you are valuable. You are precious, but only in and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? The culture, they reject even the, the thought of the existence of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not concerned about what you truly are, in Christ and in the sight of God. What they want, what the culture wants you to think is you, as a, as a person, just naturally speaking, you are of the greatest value and you're of greater value, in fact, than anybody around you. That's being caught up in pride. And the wisdom of God, I, there was a, I think it's, if I can find it, Proverbs 15, there's a few verses here that helps me. No, no, no. 16, there it is, 16. Proverbs 16 tells us, and this is just a sampling, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That ought to wake me up. That ought to wake you up. Any of us that are beginning to be tempted to be lifted up in pride, I need to be reminded that's an abomination to the Lord. That's an abomination in his sight. He hates that. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. It's useless to join yourself up with others who also are caught up in this because all of us collectively, if we're caught up in pride, we are an abomination to the Lord. Joining up with others doesn't make it any better, doesn't make you any stronger, it doesn't protect you from God's wrath, the possibility of God's wrath, 
the possibility of a child of God, in your case, it would be his chastisement, his chastening rod. You know what? Sometimes I feel his chastening rod at a much greater severity than others. Has that been your experience? Think about when you're, maybe your parents. Hey, just curious. How many, how many of you, how many of you were spanked by your parents? You can raise your hand this time. Man, that's awesome. That's great. How many of you intend in the right biblical way to exercise that same thing with your children? Or maybe have already. Oh, not nearly as many. Okay, well, we'll talk about that later. Because it is scriptural. It is scriptural. But the scriptural approach to chastening our children is the rod and reproof. You hear me? The rod and reproof. Sometimes reproof is enough. And that's the ideal situation, right? I don't know know why I'm going on this direction here. Sometimes reproof is enough, and that's the ideal situation. And every child is different. I'm still going this direction. Every child is different. Our three daughters were different. I could speak to one, and they would, they would, you know, like this. I could speak to another, and they'd bow up, you know, like, how dare you? Won't tell you which one was which, but, but God hates pride. Pride is an abomination to the Lord. But by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. By mercy and truth, iniquity is, in, is, is purged. We need the truth of God's word. Because the truth of God's word tells us what we are by nature. Fallen, in our fallen nature, without the grace of God, remaining in that fallen nature, we are enmity against God. We are at enmity against God. And so the truth of that demonstrates, highlights what we are by nature, and then following up right behind that is the beautiful gospel of grace and mercy. And by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. He says, what does he say? By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Let's move on a little bit further. Let me get back over there to 2 Timothy. So we have this word of God. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We are told here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Paul continues to tell us about these Uh, perilous times, uh, and there's too many of these to name. One of the things he mentions, though, in verse 3, he says, without natural affection. I've wondered about that so many times, and I'm I'm still not exactly sure I have a good handle on what that expression means. When I think about without natural affection, it can probably include a lot of different things. But primarily, this this is a characteristic of perilous times. How are you going to defend it once we figure out what this means. How, how are we going to defend against it? Okay, what is, what does it mean to be without natural affection? Specifically, it means to, to be void of, of love or compassion or even friendship with your family, with your kindred. Think maybe a mother or father, 
devoid of any real care or concern for their children. That's a characteristic of perilous times. It's, nothing, it's not anything new, but as a characteristic of perilous times, it becomes more and more prominent in the world. And being without natural affection, for example, a mother or a father without any concern, compassion for their children, begins from the moment of conception. It is not natural for a mother or a father to kill their children, no matter what age they are. And a characteristic of these perilous times is being without natural affection. How do we deal with that? How do we defend ourselves against it? A large subject, I keep saying this for another time, and I'm sorry, there's just not another subject along those lines is how do you minister to those who have been caught up in that? Who are guilty, yes, but who are caught up in that for whatever reason, how do you minister to them? How do you help them see that there is forgiveness, there is mercy? Maybe I need you to help me with that. Without natural affection. I had made a note here, and I'm not going to have time to, to even go down this direction. Um, Paul, Paul continues, he speaks about truce breakers, false accusers, those who have no regard for the truth. That's the world, that's the culture. That's the influence around us. That is the battle. Our battle against the culture is, the, is against those who, not against the person, but it is against these principalities and, 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 and the rulers of darkness. It is a spiritual battle that rejects the truth of God's word. Friends, you are the church. You are the pillar and ground of the truth. You have the responsibility to promote, to, to hold on, maintain, to live the truth. We have the responsibility to promote the truth, to use this sword in the, very, in the most efficient way that we can possibly. How much time are we spending learning God's word so we can learn how to use this sword? That's the challenge. That's the challenge we have. Um, let's go back to, the, uh, to Ephesians, because I was, I was going to end there, and uh, there's so much. Man, I, I didn't realize that, that that subject was so large, and I hope that I haven't been too, too awfully scattered. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's go back there and finish up. So we have this helmet of salvation. We have this sword of the Spirit, and then we're told what to do with it. We're told to go to battle after we pray after we pray for others who are engaged in this battle with us, after we pray for leadership of the Spirit who is going to lead us into this battle, this battle is not just for the minister of the gospel. This challenge to be grounded in God's Word, this challenge to, to obtain the knowledge and understanding of God's Word so that we can 
utilize this sword so we become more skilled with this sword so that we do gain the wisdom, knowledge, understanding, wisdom. This challenge is not just for the minister. Let me, let me give you an example. Let's go back to, I'm going to get 2 Timothy again, back where we were, and I apologize for that. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You remember what Paul told the young minister, Timothy? The first thing, one of the first things he told him was to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But he says that he, he, he exhorts Timothy that the things that Timothy has learned, that he should teach others, who shall be able to teach also others? And you have this long succession of generation after generation of, after generation of ministers who are teaching other ministers, who are apt to teach, who are able to teach the Word of God. And in fact, Paul tells Timothy to study, to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, there is, that's for the minister, all right. But then I think about the deacons. Deacons, don't you have a, a role in this as well? Because one of the characteristics that must be present in a man who is considered to be off, in the office of, of a deacon is to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. To be sober, to be serious about this Word of God. But then, then I remember what Paul wrote to Titus in Titus chapter 2. You remember this? Are you following with me? We have the minister's responsibility. We have deacon's responsibility. But then Paul he gets us all, in this, in, and when he writes to chap, uh, Titus in chapter 2, he addresses the aged, I almost said old, aged men. He, I, I'm not going to say old women. He addresses the aged women, the mature women. He addresses the young men, and he addresses the young women. And I remember a message not long ago that Brother Will delivered for us where he focused on the word sober, the idea of sobriety, serious-minded, clear thinking. And in every single one of those positions, whether you are young or older, whether you are man, woman of any age, the Bible challenges you, instructs you, to be serious about God's so, we have this complete armor. It's a beautiful set of armor. It is designed to protect us, but it is designed to also gain ground. Put on this armor, friends. Prepare yourself for a spiritual battle. I dare say that every single one of you in the congregation this morning has, has experienced at least some skirmishes in this spiritual battle. You know there's a battle there. You know what the, our motivation, you know what the, the greatest encouragement we, we can possibly have as we're engaged in this battle? The war has been won. 
Amen? The war has been won. We know the outcome. We know victory is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have these skirmishes, we have these battles to fight on a daily basis. While we're here in the world, either awaiting his return or awaiting our turn to go to him. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you is our prayer.